0: Uncovering your truth and fire one conversation at a time, this is the Spitfire Podcast. The Spitfire Podcast is brought to you by the Spitfire Coach based in Washington, D.C. If you'd like to put the fun back in your business or the passion back in your career, head on over to SpitfireCoach.com and book a complimentary 15-minute consultation today. This is episode number 30, and my name is Justin Trawick. I am your guest host today for the Spitfire Podcast. Um, I've got my cup of coffee. Uh, I, I was I found out that I was going to be the guest host a, a few hours ago. Uh, I, I was asked to do this for a specific reason, of which we'll get to in a moment. But we, we've spent the day, uh, Lauren Lemunion and I, we've spent the day uh, just being tourists. And I'm I'm uh, I'm now enjoying a celebratory cup of coffee after going to the, the Renwick Gallery, um, eating at Oya Mill, also eating at Ted's Bolton. It's been an entire day of, of, of consumption of food and art, and now we are back in uh, business and life coach, Spitfire coach specifically, on, on brand, uh, Lauren LeMunnion's apartment. Full disclosure, I am in this apartment often, <laughs> so this is going to be a bit personal, um, but I am the guest host today for the Spitfire podcast because... I was uh, made aware that today, or the, that soon. No, no, no. Our, my, I'm sorry. I have not yet introduced I'm my sorry. guest. Uh, I, I was I was made aware that uh, t- soon. Did you say it was tomorrow? It is June uh, 4th, the June, day this goes out. June 4th is the two-year anniversary. Now I, I, I started by saying of Lauren being jobless, but that's that's wrong.
1: That's very wrong. I
0: mean, the two anniversary, two year anniversary of you do, uh, being a business and life coach, full time business and full time business and life coach, because you had a previous life, many I did. previous lives. As as I many was like people a cat. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is the voice of my my, uh, my guest today <laughs> uh, for the uh, Spitfire podcast. My guest. I am the I am the guest host, and my guest is the host. Yeah, Love the Spitfire podcast, Lauren Lemunian, uh and what what were the the fancy three letters that are at the end of your name?
1: Oh, PCC. Uh, and that's not
0: a drug reference. That's it is not. What? That's PCP, but uh-huh, uh, right. PCC
1: stands for Professional Certified Coach, and that's through the International Coaching Federation.
0: And so, for just just let's put it all out there. I'm gonna let's pretend I I uh, just met you. Yeah and that that'd be weird that you were in my apartment it's true and but let's pretend I just met you and I knew nothing about coaching uh-huh. you know and I think that you would agree that most people the average person doesn't really sometimes understand coaching mm-hmm. and I imagine that you often have to um, educate people uh, about you know about what you do what you can offer and oftentimes you are, you are changing, not, not changing minds. You're educating people for, for the better because they often see how valuable something like you, someone like you and something like what you do is. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you uh, explain to people who may not understand what a coach does easily what's your elevator pitch
1: yeah well so i mean i think the key thing is to first distinguish where you need coaching and so i focus mainly on business owners yeah so people call me a business therapist i don't like to use that term therapy because that has a whole different function but i like to tell people that i help them focus on what matters and let the distraction and bullshit that holds them back go away so a lot of times business owners you know they isolate because this whole entrepreneurship people think that they have to do it on their own and so they convince themselves of all these past stories of how they have to you know learn all these things and and market a certain way and they should be making a certain amount of money and they end up holding themselves back and talking down to themselves and feeling kind of crappy so i give them that boost of energy and focus and clear strategy so that they can do what they do best and delegate away or let the crap that doesn't work with them for Mm -hmm. them go away right right
0: yeah now uh, I imagine that you've talked a little bit about this, about your your background and your history. Uh, Through uh, you know, this is what episode thirty. Mm-hmm. You've done twenty nine previous episodes, uh-huh. and I imagine that for the most part, you've interviewed people about them and how they got to where they are and what makes them tick. But I, I imagine some of the interviews that you've talked about yourself and mm-hmm. you know maybe your own stories. But today is obviously we're focusing on you specifically. You are the guest, as the host. Um, <laughs> You know, what makes you tick? Like, I mean, like, you grew up in New Jersey. Yep. Uh, in Lambertville.
1: Lambertville and Clinton. And so, Hunterdon County.
0: Wait, no, so Lambert. Uh, and explain, like, how, how are you by, by town? By
1: town. So, my parents split up when I was four years old. So, right. I lived with my dad until I was 12. Yeah. And then I moved into my mom's house from 12 to 17, and then I went to college.
0: By the way, if we, if we can just pause this moment. I'm not particularly sure. I'm not particularly confident that the milk is good.
1: Oh, God. So if Justin suddenly disappears, the milk was not good. So can, when in doubt, don't drink it.
0: Well, the milk was it expired on May 26th. And today, as we're, as we're recording this, it's is June 3rd. June 3rd. So that's seven that's days. Fine. We'll see. Okay. We'll see if we make it. Um, so uh, by, by town. Uh, you, uh, in the same county. In the same county. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily living with your dad. Yep. And you have a brother.
1: I have, I have a biological brother, Dan, yes. who is exactly two years older than me.
0: Right. And you have other family?
1: I do. Well, I have lots of other family. I mean, family. I'm questioning
0: you. Truthfully, I've not met a lot of your family. You have so not. So this is actually not uh, fabricated here. I actually don't know. No.
1: So you have only met my mom and my brother. Right. Um, and then my stepdad, who my mom remarried, who is her third husband.
0: You literally have family on the other side of the world.
1: I, I may. I don't know where you know, my sister is right now. Austra- Australia? New Zealand. New I'm Zealand. not sure if she's still there, to be honest. Oh, really? No. Where do you think she might be? She might be home. She might be in Pennsylvania. Oh. Yeah. So I have, cool. I have a half-sister who is 12 years younger than me, Chloe. Mm-hmm. And then I have a series of step-siblings um, based on marriage. So Right. Um, two from my mom's husband and then one from my, my dad's marriage.
0: Now, looking, you know, smash cut to today from talking about your, you know, being a child. Do you look back on your on your childhood, uh, your early um, early schooling, elementary middle school, high school, you know your time at Rutgers? Do you look back on, on, on your early life and see why you might be a coach now? Yeah I mean, what is it that was like the, the beginning of the defining p- point where you could see that you could actually help people?
1: I think it just came from having in my own internal entrepreneurial ticks. Like I can remember being like six, seven years old and just wanting to make stuff to sell it. Like I loved making money and figuring out how to market to people and how to understand the buyer and the consumer.
0: Like what are some things that you did to make money?
1: Oh, man. So I had a hat business forever. I had that starting at 12. I used to make friendship bracelets.
0: Oh, hold I, on. I'm a, I'm a big hat person.
1: I don't make hat. I haven't made you a hat.
0: You haven't made me a hat. <laughs> But, so, like, are you making fedoras? Are you making knit caps? No, I was
1: crocheting. I was crocheting hot. So, I learned how to crochet when I was six for my grandma.
0: What was your grandmother's name?
1: Well, so, her name was Marion, but she went by Dolly. Dolly? Everyone called her Dolly. Why did they call her Dolly? I think because she looked like a doll. Like, she had big blue eyes and, like, (laughs) that's what I think because I think she was little like a doll. So, they called her Dolly. But she was um, the oldest girl of eight kids. Um, and this is
0: the Italian side. of you? No,
1: this is my dad's side. So very like Irish German side. Mm-hmm. They lived in New Windsor, New York. So about was she a
0: hard individual. She
1: was hard. Um, she was soft with me, but I mean, Dolly didn't mess around. Um, How oh, so? So she she basically like she strong armed people. Like I remember her sending my mom like these um, Dear Abby clippings. Like she was kind of passive aggressive, where it was like she was trying to convince my mom not to divorce my dad. Yeah. It was, my mom was trying to get sober. So my grandmother was very insistent upon like her trying to make it work for the fam.
0: What? what, When, how old were you when your mom was working on her sobriety? Four.
1: So my mom went and got sober and she left. Um, and that's where she left the house to go get sober. I have very vivid memories of the day that she left. Like We lived as a four-year-old as a four-year-old. So I was in a, we lived in a farmhouse with another family. Like we had 13 acres in West Amwell, New Jersey. It was an amazing childhood because we had very rich neighbors and we'd go swimming in their swimming pool. And like, there were always kids around and we were always playing and like adventuring, um, and crazy like, um, barns and things like that. Um, but my mom had like a blue Honda Civic hatchback and I remember her loading boxes into the back of it and then just driving away and not coming back. Thinking about it, yeah. I mean, I just remember being really confused and crying a lot. Um, And we had to switch schools in the middle. So there was West Hamill Public School. And then we ended up um, in the middle, maybe a couple months in, I think it was like November because it was cold. It was like a cold rain. And we went to Lamberville Public School. And I remember just like gripping my dad's leg on the first day because I was just so like disoriented and crazed. Like I didn't know where I was. Right. Yeah. And we moved into this. Um, I called it the row house without a row. Um, cause my dad basically in the, in the state of New Jersey, and it might be this way in other States, if you have opposite sex children, um, in a divorce, you have to have separate bedrooms for them. So my dad trying to, you know, start over got the house he could afford with three bedrooms in it. Cause it's yeah. not like you can have the kids sleeping in the bed, in the bedroom with you. Like they were very strict about this stuff. So yeah, we, we lived in the row house without a row on, uh, they called it the hill.
0: Um, Wait, what do you mean with a row house without a row? So it was
1: a very thin house, and it, it looks like a row house, like you would be at, see in Baltimore, but there were no other houses attached to it.
0: Oh, kind of like, I, you see it often like in like comics. Yeah, stuff. yeah. That's wow. what it
1: felt like. So it was just like, something else should be attached to this, but it's not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that... And
0: how long was your mother gone?
1: I mean, I don't remember. I mean, she was probably gone for like all of like a couple days. But in my mind, it was it was a long time um, because we were getting resettled in a new house, a new environment, a new routine. We went right. from having four adults in a house to one
0: right.
1: um, and restarting in a school. Four adults. Yeah. So we were living with another family. Like basically, we lived in a huge house and, and my parents split the mortgage with another family. Who was the other family? Um, they were. I'm now blanking on their. Last names. what was their association with you? so they they had been family friends for a long time like my parents were very much into like this communal living type I didn't of thing you lived
0: with another family yeah
1: we lived with another family for like a year or two and actually like in my in my was, um, that,
0: okay. was that weird
1: no it was great because it was like you know there was always a babysitter there was always there was a younger daughter um she was younger than me katie um and so we would just play like there was never like a downtime of like you have to go get a babysitter you have to leave we could just be there at the house. So I think it was like a way of like two families who couldn't get a house like that on their own, just making it work.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Was it, uh, were there enough rooms? For yeah, all it was people? a
1: huge house. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember there was this house and it probably was, it was probably a smaller room than I remember it, but it was like the slanted roof and my parents had put this brown like paper on the wall and we w- used to just draw on it and i had this um toys r us like plastic tube tunnel that i would like crawl through in order to get to the wall to draw on it but we had like a playroom with like bunk beds and, and whatever like and we were we used to just be able to dance on the on the couches and it was just kind of like a free-for-all
0: now we were talking we we went on some some serious tangent we did or we, well we were talking uh the question in my in my head was your earliest memory of helping people, Mm -hmm. you know, smash cut to today. What are some of the earliest memories that you could, that defined you as, as what you're doing now, you think?
1: Yeah. I don't, I have just always had this innate sense of being able to read people. Um, And I always kind of felt like I was different in that sense. Like I didn't feel like I could connect with my peers. Like I wasn't ever into the same stuff that they were into. Like I was more into exploring and learning and, Um, you know digging into a book or
0: what did you you feel like your peers were into
1: like Barbies and boys and I mean I was into boys at some point but um, but (laughs) I just I didn't really feel like I got them like there would be sleepovers and like they'd be giggling about stuff and I was like that's so stupid like did you get invited to sleepovers all the time I mean I was super popular
0: you were I was I was not Oh. I, I was never popular.
1: I was really cute and I was funny. Like I was a smart ass. Like I, yeah, I mean, I, I could get along with it, but I just never felt like I connected. Um, but, but I could wh- always. Why?
0: Did you, did you what, what made you different? I don't know. Was it just the experiences that you were having with your your, your, your parents that, and your mom? and
1: That was probably it. I think I was the only kid in my grade who had divorced parents, with the exception of one. And I was oh. the only one that was living with only their dad. So I definitely did not have a feminine influence. And I was kind of a tomboy in a scrub just trying to like, I mean, there's pictures of me in first grade, like walking to school during uh, picture day in the rain and just having this ragged hair.
0: The picture that's behind your head right now, <laughs> which is I imagine like a Pee Wee baseball. Yeah, that photo, was tball Ball. Um, you in in Lawrence' apartment, you have the, the walls are adorned with um, paintings. For the most part, there are some pictures, but for the most part, they're paintings, and they're and again, most of them are ones that you have done. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at one that says, for example, "Chill the fuck out." Yep which is my mantra um, or- <laughs> mantra, and my parents have come here uh once and we had to take that down um i
1: protested <laughs> which,
0: but so above your head behind you and mm-hmm. maybe i don't know maybe you'll even take a picture or something like that of it and put it up on your on your on uh spitfirecoach.com but you uh you have this amazing grin on your face yeah of, uh, I mean, what was even going? Do you do you remember that yeah, moment? Yeah, I took do. That picture, I do. How old were you? Uh,
1: so this was in 1991. So I was eight years old. Eight, and I remember this moment vividly. Am I right? Is,
0: is it literally baseball? Yeah, this is t ball. So t-ball. so
1: I played a lot of sports as a kid. And when you have divorced parents and you're living joint custody, so I would stay with my mom on the weekends, mm-hmm. and undoubtedly things would get lost in the shuffle. So, you know, whether it was picture day or a games or like you need to bring a certain outfit or something's happening. And so my parents were were struggling. I mean, they were working their butts off trying to pay bills and everything else and have two kids and then, you know, try to co-parent. So this was um, picture day for T-ball and I did not get the memo that I was supposed to bring the official pants so the baseball pants that the are tight, kind of like that's like, the, the white tight, tight pants. like, yeah, like they were light gray. Right. Um, and so I have this pink turtleneck on underneath the White Sox T-shirt. Oh, you do. And I, I have a black hat on that doesn't have a logo that was never bent in. Um, it's just kind of there. And then I'm wearing these acid wash jeans that were kind of spandexy that are like up to my ribs. Yeah. But as a kid, I didn't care. No. Like I was, I have this shitty grin on my face and that's more of the reminder for it of like, you know what, even when you're not prepared, just have fun with it.
0: You looked very happy. I
1: was I like, I'm doing crazy eyes. Like I look like a deer in headlights, but I'm like, you know what? I'm still smiling. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> so
1: that was kind of my... I think I probably learned resilience as a kid of like, you know, even though things never felt settled for me, that if I made the best of it, if I had fun with it, if I connected with people and created my own support system, because my friends really became my family. Like I stayed with my friends a lot um, growing up. Um, I think that's what it was, is like I just learned to create my own ecosystem to to support myself.
0: When did things start feeling settled for you?
1: Um, When I moved out. Um, I mean, it was a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, my parents remarried and then um, my mom got a divorce when I was in my sophomore year of... Uh, for a
0: second time. For
1: a second time. And, and I was in college and basically got the call of like, you need to come home. Like, things are not good. And basically my... Fi- so I was never well off, but there was a, a brief period where we were okay. And like, you know, I had a car and and i was doing well and we what had kind of car do you so, have, you so i had remember. a toyota corolla 2001
0: did you have a name for it
1: uh yeah and i'm now totally blanking on it cuz i named my second car and i can't remember what this was um but i loved it it was silver and it was yeah. new and it smelled right. new and and i remember like oh shit what am i going to do and you know the one time that i felt financially secure and and then it all went away and th- what i realized at that point is like it's not secure if you're not doing it for yourself
0: it, and it, that that seems to be from knowing you A very important part of you, Mm -hmm. which is the not depending on anyone else kind of, kind of mantra. Yeah. Well, getting stuff done for yourself, you being kind of like you being, um, everything is, is your job.
1: Yeah. And, and, and what you've noticed is that that can bite me in the ass too. So in what way? Well, because anytime that you do it on your own, you're also stretching yourself too thin and you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to make sure it gets done. Um, I've learned how to kind of be the jack of all trades for my professional career. And personally, I mean, this is probably what has been ingrained in me, um, from the time I was born. Like my parents are go-getters. They're both have been self-employed and, you know, just really made things happen for themselves. And that's probably what they ingrained in me is to just go and do it. No one else is going to do it for you. Um, but at the same point, it's really hard to just, you know, take a breath and be vulnerable and like admit that you can't do it and I think that that in becoming a coach has been the big reminder for me to reach out for help and to ask for help and to know that some people do it a lot better than me and they do it faster and it's worth the investment to pay them and to just delegate away.
0: You went to two different colleges I did What you went where first
1: Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania.
0: And what was it that made you decide to go to that school?
1: (laughs) Okay, this sounds so (laughs) trivial, but I was all about alliterations. So I really love the idea of saying my name is Lauren Lemonian and I go to Lycoming College. (laughs) And they gave me a
0: scholarship for what what did you get a scholarship at? um i was
1: smart it was just like one oh, of these just an academic academic scholarship. scholarship so i went to a small private school my junior and senior year um called solbury school which really of, was of high school of high school yeah. it was a pivotal place for me like very alternative thinking like uh, how alternative like we called our te- did it get? we called our teachers by their first name like we had times to go find ourselves and like electives and you know it was encouraged that we just like,
0: what was the name of your english teacher
1: oh which one um I'm, you know, I think it was Greta, but my favorite teacher, if he's listening, was Martin. So mm-hmm. he did like a psychology class, but he did more of energy readings, and I didn't realize what he was doing.
0: Yeah, I don't. What is an energy reading? As
1: well, it was basically like there was something about minerals where he was like, "This is what your personi- personality type is like." Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool because um, we're like learning Freud, and then we're learning all these applications, and that's what really kind of turned me on to like, oh. Not everyone thinks the same way, and people have different impulses that come from other things that are not, you know, from how they were raised or, you know, who they think they are, but they could have these kind of triggers in a different way.
0: Okay, and, and what, are, what were other things that made this school different than, your, say, your average high school? Well, it
1: was tiny, so my, my graduating class had 35 kids. 35 people. Yeah, and from in thir- your graduating class. my graduating class that's tiny thirteen different countries in the school one hundred and eighty kids seventh through twelfth grade and a post grad
0: thirteen different countries yeah
1: we had we had tons of of international students
0: hey, that had come from all over the world to go to this school yeah why? yeah why what was it about your school it, that did that
1: it was an amazing experience because it wasn't even about like <clears throat> you know it, it wasn't like a prep school where like you're gonna get set up for to go to Harvard it was it was really an alternative school for the kids that couldn't make it in public school really? um but with that nobody looked down on you because like you had tattoos or a nose ring or spiky hair
0: so it but it wasn't troublemakers no it wasn't people who had been kicked out of public they
1: school. probably had and i'm sure <laughs> they did but what i will say is those are the kids who are just misunderstood, and okay. I think there was very, a very much an individual and community aspect to the school where we had general assembly where people could just go in and speak their minds about what was going on on campus.
0: What was the musician that you, you, that you saw Lang- recently? Was it
1: Langhorne Slim?
0: Langhorne Slim. Yeah. Is that the musician that you went to? Yeah. With? So he
1: went. He went to Solbury. Yeah.
0: I think it was amazing. Um, you and I were seated right here at your table, and I think that you had gotten like a. Like a yearly magazine for your high school. Yep. You're still on a mailing list
1: for them. They have my address. How do they even
0: know where you are? I tell them where I am. You update your address. I do, because I
1: like getting the glossy magazines.
0: (laughs) And Lauren uh, was looking through the magazine, and there was, I guess, like a kind of like a feature.
1: It was an update by class. So they do like what what so and so is up to and what they've done,
0: and so and so specifically. So Sean
1: Skolnick is Langhorn Slim, and, and he's got a new album. When, when I th- and
0: I thought that was really kind of funny because, um, I mean, I've been playing music now for my entire adulthood and half of my, you know, childhood. But and and of, to your credit, you have always been into music, mm-hmm. but you've never had the exposure that you've had before the last two years from knowing me. No. Um, so when you were like, oh, this cool, this guy plays music now, you didn't realize that like many people know who he is. He's,
1: he's kind of a big deal. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Like I knew about him. I just didn't know that much. You're like, oh, that's cool. He's trying to try the music thing. You know, that's good. I hope it works out. Like I'm like sitting there going like, it's working out. He's doing
1: just fine.
0: (laughs) You know, yeah, he's doing okay. Um, so you're... Alliteration. You you went from uh, your high, high school yeah, it was to a little shallow. purely on alliteration. Well, and it only. was
1: and it was the size of the school. So I I got accepted into Rutgers, I got accepted into Northeastern. Mhm. Um, and I got accepted into homing. Now, I wanted to go to Northeastern. That was my first choice. That's in Boston. Boston. Yeah. Love Boston. But my SAT scores were too low to qualify me to get a scholarship. And that school is super expensive. Do you remember your
0: SAT scores? Yeah,
1: 1040. It was really low. What is, is it 18,
0: sixteen sixteen hundred? 1600. 1600.
1: So I'm really smart, but I hate standardized tests. And I will rush through them because I can't sit still to read things through. Okay. through. So yeah. I'm just like, Bleh. And so I just threw it,
0: threw it away. Right.
1: And I didn't retake it. I was just done.
0: I think I got about the same thing that you got, which is surprising because I think you're smarter than me. Um, the, so you went to Lycoming mm-hmm. and you went there for two years. Two years. And the idea was, what was your major going to be? I was be? a
1: business major. At Lycoming? At Lycoming with a minor in sociology.
0: And, and what made you decide business?
1: Um, cause I was always good at business. So I had the hat business and, and
0: what happened? We kind of glossed over yeah, that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I did it through college. Um, but it was really stressful and a lot of production on my hands. Um, and it was
0: just a, you, you didn't have workers. I
1: actually did have workers at, um, I actually had orc- Orthodox Jewish workers, two females, um, at Rutgers, except I didn't realize that they couldn't work on Friday through Saturday, which were like prime time to go sell.
0: Okay, so I just want to make cuz we've talked about your hat business before and I apologize. But when I when we've talked about your hat business, I assume it's the equivalent of my hemp necklace business no. when I was in college, which was I just made hemp necklaces for, you know, drunk high college students who would pay me $10 a necklace and I probably sold 20 of them. I you, sold you, hundreds. You sold hundreds. Of hundreds hats. if
1: not thousands of hats. Yeah. It took really? me fifteen Wait, minutes. Wait, hundreds, if not how many thousands? If not thousands, because it was over the span of about uh, eight to ten years. Really? Yeah, and I mean, I could crank out a hat in fifteen minutes. I was that I was that fast.
0: And where were you selling these?
1: At craft markets, there was um, this place called Oh God, was it Rice's Market? So there was this outdoor market that I would go to. People would find me and ask me for specific colors. I had a I had a website.
0: You're a year and a half younger than I am. So the internet existed. It did. Were you on the internet? I was on the house? internet, yeah. Were people ordering them?
1: Well, so that was the thing. My mom was dating this guy after the second husband who apparently claimed to be this amazing web designer. And what the guy... What was his name? Do you remember? Oh, Abraham. He was... Abraham? He was, Abraham. That's he was, a good name. He was um, in Montreal. And he was actually the guy that my mom had an affair with. Um, sorry, mom. Um, and so the guy was was a con artist like through and through and my brother and i sniffed it out because we later found out that my mom was like giving him money when she was struggling like she had to file for bankruptcy sell her car all this stuff meanwhile she's sending him money and i gave him four hundred dollars to set up my website and he never did
0: it. Your mom gonna be okay with this podcast?
1: Yeah, mom. Mom and I are good. All right. No, mom has mom is married to an awesome man. Her husband now is awesome. He makes guitars. Yeah, like he's awesome. She's doing great, Smart. but I think she had to kind of have that moment of clarity to be like, not everything that looks like it's good on you know in the moment is actually good for you. Right. Um, and my brother actually ended up saving me, um, and and helped me put the website together because um, I was just completely distraught about it. Cause I put all this money in and had nothing for the hats for the hat. The ha- it was called libido designs. L E B I D O design libido. libido.
0: <laughs> okay. But we all know what libido is. Yeah.
1: So it was based on like the passion of it, but it was like a whole tongue in cheek. And I had, I had iron on labels that went on them that were in cursive and script. It was great.
0: Libido. L E like,
1: capital B I D O.
0: That's reminding me of like the menage a trois, like beer or uh, wine, wine. That you can get. You yeah. Know? I was like, meant to
1: be a little tongue in cheek. I feel
0: like, did people buy your stuff just for the name alone? No,
1: not at all. Like, I had moms who were like, okay. I was like, I can take the label out if it bothers you that much. Um, yeah, but, like, my whole my whole pitch was that I can customize any hat while you're shopping. So, like, if you wanted a band on it, if you wanted a flower on it, if you wanted to turn a standard hat into a brim hat, I could do that.
0: We're talking about, like, Cro- beanies.
1: Crochet, yeah, crocheted beanies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about... Uh, bringing the hat business back
1: no because I have extreme tendinitis right now as as a result from that like really? I, I can't hold a brown paper bag pinched yeah. without getting serious pains flaring up my my hands and it's hard enough with me writing on my computer and typing without yeah. having that so every now and again my friends who have babies will get lucky enough to have a baby blanket but that's really all I make
0: so like him in college you were a, a business major because, obviously, and, and, and I I can understand that. Like, when I was in uh, high school, I was recording um, records and selling them out of the, the trunk of my Ford Taurus that made a horrible squealing sound when I drove around the giant parking lot. They knew you were coming. They knew I was coming. <laughs> um, I also uh, had a photography business. So, uh, although I did not go and get a business degree, which oftentimes, Lauren, I kind of regret because that's probably a, one of the things I really probably would have um, helped me mm-hmm. uh, now, nowadays. Um, and you said you had a psychology minor? Sociology. Socio- I don't fully understand what sociology, sociology is. Sociology
1: is the study of people, so how the individual is affected by the group and how the group is impacted by the individual.
0: Okay. And what was the idea by, behind getting a sociology I minor? just,
1: I just liked the classes, so it was kind of a minor... You know, by mistake, because I was just like, "Oh, this is kind of cool."
0: Now, Two years into Lycoming, you, uh, you go to and and um the the joke that uh, you kind of hate, and it's really not a joke, but I don't know, I don't know why I do it. But anytime we ever talk about you going to Rutgers, I say in quotations, which you, um, with air quotes, which I just yeah. did right now for you. Because um, I feel like Rutgers is a really good school. It is. And Rutgers is like, you know, you can walk into Starbucks and tell somebody you went to Rutgers and they'll automatically think that you're incredibly smart.
1: I love that. But I know <laughs> you. I know
0: you. No, not to say that you're not incredibly smart, but, you know, you are you. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? I have no idea. I'm riffing <laughs> right now. But st- but hang with me. Uh, you went to Lycoming. Like, I mean, what was it that you made you change? Why'd you go to a different school? Because you...
1: the money ran out. I mean,
0: but life... you went from the money running out to a Better, so my parents, bigger better school my
1: parents didn't want me going to Rutgers as a 17 year old because they thought it was it was too crazy of a school like it was a big party school too so they thought I was too young not knowing that I was already going to New York City and Boston and Philly on the regular you know sophomore through senior year Wait, what were you doing I was go- I was going to the city and partying all the time like they didn't realize that I was already doing that from at what
0: a- age were you doing that
1: oh man I was probably like 14
0: really yeah wow
1: I mean, I was, uh, my friends and I were doing it all the time, but like, I think my parents had a very naive sense of what I was actually doing. Right. Or maybe they wanted to think that because my brother was so crazy. But yeah, so I went to Rutgers as (laughs) like the the safety school, the backup school of like, oh, I've already gotten accepted in here. And by the way, it's only $7,500 a year compared to 27,000. God knows how much those.
0: For Lycoming. Lycoming was crazy expensive. more expensive. Yeah. I would have thought it would have been totally different. No, it was private school. Oh. I see.
1: Yeah. A lot of kids that went there were on scholarship. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: So what was Rutgers like? Where is Rutgers?
1: Rutgers is in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Okay. So it's it's in a city. Where um, is New Brunswick? New Brunswick is, it's central Jersey. So it's about 45 minutes train ride on northeast, I don't know what line that is actually, um, that goes into New what York City. exit
0: is New Brunswick? Uh, it's,
1: I, exit nine off the parkway. Okay. And I always said, why, is your dad a truck driver? <laughs> um so I, I so i end up transferring and it was funny because my friend from high school julie transferred from drexel at the same time to go to Rutgers Drexel's in philadelphia in philly private school I think. yeah uh i think so yeah. yeah so we end up transferring at the same time we're like well let's just live together because like we don't know anybody here like we had friends who were there but everyone was kind of already established in their housing
0: situation right that would be tough
1: so we got this apartment on commercial ave and no joke it was across a driveway of a coke house or a crack house or whatever the hell they were doing there so my window had a direct view, and I was ground level to drug transactions on the regular. So people would tap on my window by mistake. I'm like, next house. And we actually had our place robbed. And I
0: don't know if I've ever seen a drug trend the transaction. What was it? What's it like to see a drug transaction?
1: There's knocking, and then there's an exchange of a bag. Was it in.
0: discreet, or was it just like super and out? In no,
1: the well they weren't saying, "May I please have some crack cocaine, sir?"
0: I mean, how did you know it was happening?
1: Because you see it, and when you have a, a steady flow of traffic of people coming. To a window it was like a drive-through
0: did they kind of look a certain way did like they? they
1: wanted drugs yeah oh, okay. right. <laughs> yeah so this place was gross um in the bathroom i remember there was a hole in the wall underneath the shower head and so i put a black and white copy of this <laughs> scar face with the machine gun over top of it
0: <laughs> so why was there a hole in the wall
1: who knows who knows i mean this place was so gross um but it, it was i think we were paying like 400 a month or something for it yeah so and it was like what my mom could afford and then my senior year i moved in with my mom because she was living in a nearby town and she was kind of struggling senior year at Rutgers. yeah so i lived with her
0: um, what was it like living with your mother while in college I mean, college is a time for partying I had my own. And, and finding yourself but you lived with your mom yeah and
1: that's the thing is i really didn't have the college experience my junior and senior year because I, I was scared to death. I went from partying my face off. I had a fake ID. My in freshman and well, didn't have a fake ID in high school. My, my um, college experience, my freshman and sophomore year, I had a fake ID. I was at the bar. I would study at the bar at a 3.7 GPA. Like I didn't have to try.
0: You studied at the bar? I
1: studied at the bar. And no, like, was that hard? No, it was Oops. great. It was quiet. Um, yeah, I'd, but I'd be hammered. And I was like, OK, I'm good. I would write papers at the bar. <laughs> um. Yeah, and it was fine, and and then I go to Rutgers, and it's like uh, this like band-aid ripping of you're now an adult because you need to graduate as fast as possible. So what I didn't tell you is, so I had to tra- change my majors when I went to Rutgers because they didn't take any of my business credits because they have their own business school which has their own standards.
0: It, it didn't transfer.
1: It did not transfer. So I why
0: because Mo- they have, do- doesn't don't most colleges transfer from one to not, another? Not
1: not always, and so they didn't take any of my credits. So basically if you have like a different credit hour or something, it doesn't count the same way. Okay. Okay. So I'm like a week away from starting and they're like, yeah, you're not going to graduate for another two years after what you think you're going to, if you think you're going to be a, bu- a business major. And I was like, what? Like I can't afford to do that.
0: Meaning f- instead of four years of college, you, you I would have had six. six. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I freaked out. And so I, I sat down with someone um, cause I went to Douglas college, which was the Women women's college that's part of Rutgers in the system so when you go to Rutgers you're part of like one of six different colleges that okay. have a focus like engineering, business science like whatever it is and so um,
0: I've always so, found that confusing when it's like there's a kind of mini colleges within the college.
1: It just gives you a different graduation standard so right. you could take classes on any campus which is what I did uh, okay. and like I had to take an extra like women's focus class or two um, so anyway, I, I find out and, and she said, well, let's look at your, your uh, classes that you've taken. And she's like, well, basically, if you want to graduate on time, you're going to need to take winter and summer classes and you're going to be a sociology major. And I was like, I guess that's what we're going to do. And so I ended up having, going from having a very lax schedule at Lycoming to having to take five classes work in insurance and have this business on the side so i went you were
0: kind of being fast-tracked through
1: i i was i wasn't even being fast-tracked i was like trying to cram everything to graduate on time right right so i was working in insurance um with the company that my mom was working at i was an assistant to like two or three agents In insurance insurance yeah health insurance and, and uh life insurance
0: what kind of coverage were you working in coverage i mean health insurance so it's
1: like group health insurance life insurance so pe- agents who sold health insurance to people okay okay so i would like help them with filing and doing mail merges and, and mailings and things like that um in my free time so i would work during the day there and i would take night classes and then when i was selling my hats in the city i was like going on the weekends and doing that so i wasn't going to parties i maybe went to like a handful of parties there was a window in like the spring and summer that i did that um,
0: what was your hope with the hats was, i just you, wanted you and money. i watch you and i watch a lot of shark tank mm-hmm. we watch a lot of the profit you know um with mark limonis right marcus
1: limonis marcus
0: limonis uh i mean what was did you have this idea that the hat business was going to be like become a really big business for you was that the plan or no, was it just a side business
1: it wasn't a side business to me it was like what I was in control of of making more money than an hourly job would so I was making like 10-15 bucks an hour in insurance but I could make $400 in two hours with my hats if I made things in advance like obviously that hourly rate goes way down when you look at production time and things right right. so to me it was a survival piece of like I, I was also babysitting and things like that but this was the thing that I had the most exponential profit line on at that moment for that timeline
0: were you a good babysitter? I was awesome. Why?
1: I don't know. I played with kids. I had a good imagination.
0: Did you ever, do you remember like any like devil children? Always. Anyone the screamers. The,
1: well, yeah, they're like master manipulators. Like the ones that tried out and be like, my mom lets me do this all the time. And I'm like, you're full of shit. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I'm just like, there's no way in hell that your mom lets you play with
0: knives. Um, I think I've told you before. I have a memory of when I was a kid, my parents was the only time my parents ever got a male babysitter for me mm-hmm. and he let me stay up past my bedtime and watch America's Most Wanted and that night I had horrible nightmares could not go to bed and he was never asked back again but
1: but it didn't make you a criminal so no you're good. it didn't <laughs> I,
0: I suppose that's the good part of that yeah. maybe it scared me straight it, maybe it did <laughs> um so you, you're living with your mother, and you graduate Rutgers with a sociology yep. degree. Yep. Which basically prepares you for what? What is one supposed to do with a sociology You degree?
1: can do whatever you want with it, and that was the great thing is that I felt like I could translate it into anything that I wanted to do. But the great thing of that whole experience was not so much the degree that I graduated with. It was the fact that I had a degree, and I had a business all while I was doing it. So my stepmom...
0: The, 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 the hat business. business
1: yeah so the hat business became the thing that i could talk about in cover letters it was what set me apart from people who were just graduating from college
0: cover letters to getting to getting a, a job. job yeah so
1: i had been applying to jobs four months before i graduated like i had three interviews set up the day after i graduated
0: did you do any internships or anything
1: um no i had my own business and i was actually working so, so that
0: was as good as an internship.
1: well i mean i probably should have done an internship and that probably would have set me on a different course but I think what I realized is like I like to be in charge of my own destiny and not you know just work under somebody.
0: So how long did you keep staying living with your mom after you graduated?
1: I didn't. So I I ended up working at the Grand Hyatt Draft Picks. It was a sports bar um, what, for what, eight what, weeks. What draft picks? It was called Draft Picks. It was a sports bar in the Grand Hyatt. So eight
0: weeks doing what?
1: I was serving i was a cocktail waitress because i it? need to make fast money i was good because i just talk shit to people like the more i was kind of in people's face and things like i didn't take any crap from people and i made huge tips
0: did you guys have a uniform
1: yeah it was like this awful baggy navy blue polo shirt with like our logo embroidered on it it was bad
0: did you have like a thing that you had to say every time you went to a no. new table you no like no it wasn't a- tgi fridays no no and it was great Wait, why do you say G- what, what are they what do they have to say i don't know
1: I don't know. I just feel like they've got flair and all that. That's probably true. Cheesy stuff. Um, but the great thing is, like, it was people who were there on travel or people that were there for events. So it wasn't, like, locals who were going to give you... Who were, like, wasted all the time. There was a lot of, like, people who were just respectful and sure. had a lot of cash. Right. So I worked there, and then I had graduation and the next day i was on a train down to dc and had three interviews at association management companies and i got a job offer within four hours of the first one and i accepted it didn't even go i went on the second one and didn't go on the third one
0: you went in three interviews in one day
1: i didn't i only ended up going to two on on that trip
0: you actually you decided to not even go to the last one
1: no i accepted the job because i was like they liked me they were good let's go yeah hindsight Go to all the interviews. Oh, I'm not judging you. I, mean, <laughs> no, I, I, I am. I did just kind
0: of put my hand up in the air like, why did you do that? But I didn't mean, I, I, I really meant that was pretty cool. But did you even tell them you were not going to come? Did you just not yeah, No, me? no,
1: I told them. I told them, I said I, I was just offered a job and I accepted it. And I actually went to the second interview and I told them, you know, on my way here, they offered me a job and I accepted it. And they're like, oh, we think you're really great. And that's a great fit for you. Like, you know, you'll do really well because they all knew of each other.
0: So what was the, the job you accepted?
1: So it was um, as an, it was an assistant position at um, I forgot what they titled they called it, um, at Association Global Services. So there were six of us, and it was an international management company for associations.
0: Okay, and, and how long did you work there?
1: Until they went under two and a half years later.
0: Uh, that's pretty dramatic.
1: It was super dramatic. So basically I was the whistleblower because I encountered fraud. Um,
0: you, you were a whistleblower mm-hmm, Actually resigned. the company you worked for. Yeah.
1: So I found out that they were, um, not paying out on people's, um, retirement accounts and department of labor says you have 30 days to do that. And the reason that I knew that is because, um, one of my clients used to pay me a bonus. So we had performance bonuses that, you know, at the end of the year, if you exceed whatever the profit line is or the revenue target is, then we did a 50, 50 split. So I had a $10,000 bonus check at like 24, which was amazing. And I kept checking my retirement statements because I wanted it to just get deferred there. I didn't want to you know, get taxed on it, and I just wanted it to grow in my retirement account, and it's not there. And this was in February. Fast forward to April, and then May, and nothing happens. And I went to the finance manager, and I said, you know, where's my money? This is not here, nor are any of the matches. That I think it was a 3% match that they were supposed to go up to. None of that was getting deposited in. And she said, You need to talk to this person and this person, and this person. I just start getting the runaround. And after talking to four people, I was like, something's not right here. So I started asking other people, Have your has your money been deposited? And they said, No. And I was like, something's really fishy. And so I quit because I was like, You're gonna pay me and I know that you guys are doing something that's really illegal. And if you don't pay me, I'm gonna sue you.
0: Were they banking on that the were they banking on the on the hope that not that you were the anomaly and everyone else was just yeah. not paying attention
1: i think that's what they were banking on um and do
0: you think that this was um they, they were doing this on purpose or this was just a were, mistake that no one had ever corrected? they were trying
1: to get sold by an international company which they ended up doing yeah um and so this all happened i then alerted people and then they alerted their clients which it just created pandemonium mm. and i resigned and then they basically asked me to come back they were like we need you to come back um, and I was like, no, I don't want to come back. Like, I had a whole plan. I was like, I'm going to go live at the beach. I'm going to learn guitar. Did and you
0: get the money?
1: I got the money. Yeah. And I said, I want my money. I want to raise. And I want help because I'd been running an association on my own um, the whole time. And so that happened. And three months later, it was actually on my birthday, the CEO was asked to leave because all this got uncovered.
0: Mm. Like
1: they just started digging into the financials deeper and deeper.
0: How big was this company?
1: Um, well, at that point, there were probably... We had... We had international offices. There were probably like 40 people employed there, but they were getting bought out by a major company in Europe. Um, Wow. Like they flew us out to Lisbon for this big, like, learn about us. And we all just got wasted. And we're like, yeah, we're not going. (laughs) Um, It was crazy times. I mean, it was 2008. And the company stayed intact. Like one guy was just trying to keep it together. And... As soon as we came back from holiday break, they told us by the end of January, we were all out of a job.
0: So you, you, you well, you said you resigned. You did. You, I
1: resigned and then I came back because I got promoted. And okay. basically I made a very pivotal move at that point by just saying, fuck it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I'm going to just put it on the table of how much money I want, what I want position wise. Because I knew that I had to set myself up for the next So you kind spot.
0: of leverage yourself into making astronomical money
1: not astronomical, but a hell of a lot more than I would have if I just waited for someone to give me a raise.
0: But eventually that job ends. And then what happened?
1: So it ended. um, And the interesting thing is I had interviewed at another management company a year before that, but decided it wasn't a good time to do that. And my client wanted to take me with them because I basically was the only one that knew what was going on. What client was this? This is the Environmental Markets Association. Oh. So they do cap and trade and, and things like that. So they lobbied for me to go, and no other company would take me because they have their own staff to manage clients. Like that's sure. how they make their money. They don't want to take staff with them. But because this company wanted to hire me, um then it ended up working out really well. So you know, I walked in. It was the day after the inauguration of Obama. So 2008? cold. 2008. Okay. Super freaking cold. Actually, it was 2009. Because it was got cold.
0: I remember that. I remember, <laughs> I remember where i was living watching tv i did not go out that day no because it was so cold
1: it was freaking cold so i walk in and sit down and and the president of the company says lauren you're the linchpin of this of this deal and i was like oh that's your first mistake letting me know i'm important and uh i was cocky i was just like you know i was ready to start my management company i was ready to take on this client and i knew that i could make or break it and so you know, I just kind of puffed my chest out a bit of like, you know, let's see what he's going to offer me. And he ended up offering me 25% more than what I was making at the last place. And I remember walking out of there like, man, that was dumb, but holy shit. <laughs> this is awesome.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I-, I was actually telling this story to my friend Malik cause we used to work together and she's like, I'm not surprised at all, but I look back and I don't know if I would have the balls to do something like that now. Like, I think it was just because I didn't know what I was supposed to do that. I was like, I'm just going to throw a Hail Mary and see what happens.
0: But, but you you, did it.
1: I did it. Yeah. And I think that's where like, you know, the spitfire comes from is like, I just had this inner knowing that like I had the power to go for it.
0: Now, was this your last job before you this left? This was.
1: Yeah. So I was with them for seven years, over seven years. Um, the Actually.
0: Inv- the Environmental.
1: Markets Association. And then I had three other clients that I worked on at the same time. So when I left, I was working on four clients. Right. As the executive director or, or interim.
0: Now, while you were doing this, you were, wh- when did you get the idea for going back to school mm-hmm. for coaching?
1: Well, in all of this, um, so I got married and moved to Houston and then Vegas and just was burning out, like, you know, everything that people. And you, t- and
0: you were also getting into CrossFit.
1: I was into CrossFit. I owned a CrossFit gym You in owned Vegas. a CrossFit
0: gym. While While working full-time and traveling
1: every two weeks. Yeah, I was tired. And I kept looking around and looking on paper like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and I'm so tired, and I'm miserable, and I hate everyone around me.
0: You co-owned the CrossFit gym with the person that you married. Yes. You were kind of like co-owner on paper, but you were truthfully still your main job was your job job
1: i mean i was putting equal time in i was at that gym a lot of I, mean, hours. I don't know how you weren't passed out all the i time. was passed out a lot i mean i was probably napping you know hour to hour increments i was not getting a good night's sleep i was eating like crap and then i was working out because you have to have the image of being the gym owner in my mind and i just was like i don't i don't see this as my future i can't look at myself with the bags under my eyes and try to promote a healthy lifestyle
0: what was the name of your gym it was called
1: decibel crossfit decibel decibel so it was all about being loud Oh. yeah lots and Were i don't, you guys I don't loud? like yeah and i don't like loud music
0: <laughs> was it was it like you went into like a hard rock it was, club or yeah, something yeah and we in? used to
1: get into a lot of fights over the music that was played like there was some graphic music and we had a pretty like, strong was not like hip-hop no i mean the hip-hop was raunchy that he played like right. if i was in charge he, of music your ex my ex yeah so people would complain to me and I was like, I'm sorry, but anytime I would try to change his track, he would come over and put it back on. He was not good at customer service. we <laughs> will just say that. Um, so I, you know, I did that for two years and I, I just got tired. I was like, I, I couldn't see a way or a point. And, and I think when you're in college or in another situation, you can kind of see like graduations here, or when I get done with this meeting or this conference, things will be different. But I never saw that transition point. Like we had this house, we had a five bedroom, four and a half bath house in a guard gated community. We had the business set up. I had a job, but it was like, there was never a point where I felt like I could take a break or make a transition to get another job because I was making DC money and living in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. so I felt the golden handcuffs of it and just was not okay. Oh, Justin's making a really bad face right now. Is it curdled? Oh, that's gross. Spit it out.
0: All right, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. Okay. Um, we we're gonna Are you going to go throw make, up? Maybe we're going to play it. I'm drinking curdled milk right now. That's so gross. We're going to take a break. We're gonna. I'm going to get a new cup of coffee. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe you can put, you know what? I'm the guest host. Maybe you can play like a little play a song of mine. I will. You want to do that? Maybe the bright side. Play the bright side. <laughs> play the bright side. We'll give people a little bit of ta- you know a little bit of a uh, an, an an audio break, um, and then we're gonna come back. And we're gonna talk more. I've got to get the taste of of this caramel uh, milk out of my mouth. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll be right back. This is uh, the Spitfire Cop podcast. talk to me slow I've got all the time in the world where have you been where did you go no I don't think I've seen that girl you're running away you're leaving this town can I get you a drink or two what did you say what did you do did he really want to marry you just look on the bright side just look on the bright side Just look on the bright side. Not the right side, not the wrong side, just the bright side. I heard you were broke, so come and sit down. We could all use a friend or two. What did you say? How did it go? Why did it end so very soon? I ordered some food, so eat what you want Yeah, tell me the things you meant to say I like the first part, at least what you meant I think I just worded differently Just look on the bright side Just look on the bright side Just look on the bright side And not the right side, not the wrong side Just the bright side Got something that we don't see coming. We've all been running when we started out walking. We've all got time, but time's not standing still. The days seem long till the days get shorter. The lights seem bright till the lights get darker. And you hold your head up high and say, Well, just try harder. You said that you won, I think that that's great. What do you do with the money you made? Invest in some stocks so or learn a new trade? I play in pool, but you buy the first game. You came out ahead, so help out your friends. Yeah, money we lose, but friends to the end. Tell me the time I think that I'll go. It was nice to meet you, meet you all. Just look on the bright side. Just look on the bright side. Just look on the bright side. Not the right side, not the wrong side, just the bright side. Hey! Yeah! Just the bright side. 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 That was The Bright Side, uh, a song of mine. This is Justin Traywick, your guest host for the Spitfire podcast today, episode number 30. Once again, you can go to uh, Spitfire Coach P- Podcast. Yeah. Spitfire Podcast. But also Spitfire Coach.
1: It's the same site. Same site. Yes, yeah, same site, it. but different focus.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, Spitfire Podcast or Coach.com. Uh, and uh, my host, uh, my guest today, I'm the host, I'm the guest host. My guest today is host, the regular host, the, uh, the entrepreneur herself, um, Lauren Lemunian, uh business and life coach. Uh, currently wearing a beautiful Gordon hat that she bought in New, New Orleans. Orleans. Um, and we went there a few months ago. And um, we were talking about CrossFit. We are yeah. talking about the loudness of your, it was called Decibel. Decibel. Decibel CrossFit. Yeah. And um, did you enjoy being a CrossFit proprietor?
1: Um, you know, there were aspects of it that I enjoyed, but I never felt really tied into it as, as a brand. Um, right. I got great results. I mean, I was down to twenty-two percent body fat and was
0: super strong. Now I don't know what that means. Twenty-two percent body fat.
1: I had abs.
0: (laughs) Like, do do I am at? I am. What do I have? Like thirty percent body? fat? No, that
1: would make you obese. So men typically have less body fat than women do because we have boobs and hips and all that stuff. Men should have less. What
0: what do I probably? You should
1: probably be under twenty percent.
0: I Should be or what is? Is that what I? I don't know what
1: you are. I haven't done it. I I don't do CrossFit. No, I haven't done it. But like there's they have different systems. So we used to have a a body scanner that would tell you what your fat percentage was. A scanner. Yeah, so you would stand on it and it would send an electronic current and tell you how what your water percentage was, what your muscle percentage was, and then your body fat. So you mm-hmm. could actually see what your muscle mass right and all that stuff was.
0: Did you do burpees?
1: All the time.
0: Those like awful.
1: Yeah, we used to do like 100 burpees for time. So how how long it would take you to do 100 burpees as fast as you could. Yeah, you want to die after
0: it. Could you actually do a 100 burpees? Yeah, a I,
1: I had it like at five minutes. It was something crazy.
0: That that really sounds like torturous.
1: It was. It was. But at that point in my life, it was I was so stressed out about other things that this was a way of just getting all that aggression this out. It was a
0: release. For you. It was a release,
1: yeah. And so that's why when I went through coaching school, CrossFit no longer kind of fit into that mindset for me like I it was very competitive like I I remember walking into the gym as an owner and eyeing up the people in class like I can beat them I can beat them and that's a horrible thing to like think um and I probably said it I don't know it was bad like I didn't like feeling that way right
0: so what year did you start doing the the classes for coaching uh
1: so that was in 2015 so um I worked with a coach which is what kind of inspired me to go into coaching because I thought my career was making me miserable. In
0: 2015 you were in Vegas. It was in Vegas. Yeah. And so and What was the company?
1: The comp- the coaching, coaching company? Yeah. Um so it was the inter- at the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, IPEC. So mm. that's actually what my career coach went through and cuz I was very much like opposed to life coaching. I had met someone who was a life coach and I thought she was kind of full of shit and I was just like if I don't See you as a positive example. I don't really want to learn from you. And I felt like a lot of people were very pushy about it. Yeah. I also was not in a good headspace for anybody to tell me what I needed to do. And I'm a little stubborn about that you stuff. You don't really
0: like people telling you what to do. I hate people telling me what to do. I tried to telling do. you what to do yesterday and it didn't go over well. It
1: did not. <laughs> That's another conversation. Um, so, yeah, I, I uh, enrolled in April. Um, and classes started in July there was some advanced learning stuff Uh, so July 2015 and it was an eight-month program basically that's the fastest that you could have gotten through it if you did all the requirements
0: and what made this company the one that you chose like are there did you see that there were companies that suited one need over another need were there some that were accredited or not accredited were some that better than others yeah i
1: mean th- so basically you want to make sure that a, a school is accredited through icf which is the international coaching federation um which basically means that you can get all those letters and things like that um but what i loved is that it was more training than what you needed for the accreditation and there was more applicability to what you were learning so there were three three-day weekends so 30 hours each weekend and then you were getting coached and coaching people throughout the whole process
0: and what was the idea? Uh, as a person going back to school for coaching mm-hmm. what was the idea that you were going to what was the what was the idea of what you were going to do when you got when you when you got the the uh the certification the certification you're going to create your own business and you're just going to coach people individuals you're going to do group mm-hmm. classes you're going to try to um, leverage this into a position at a company that needed this kind of work
1: Yeah, I mean, my initial thought was I was actually going to stay at my job. I thought, you know, I'm learning all these great tools. I can go back because my plan was always to move back to D.C. after I got divorced. Mm. So we didn't get to that point of that. So basically, I got divorced the week that I actually enrolled in coaching certification, it was very fast. You can get divorced in 24 hours in Las Vegas.
0: It was, did that have something to do with you going back to it? Was,
1: it was an overall awareness that I was not happy in the situation. He was not happy in the situation. We, we were not on the same page in any way, shape or form. Um, and it was just this highlight of like, I need to finally make a decision for me instead of waiting for other people to make their mind up for me. Um, and so it was a very amicable divorce. It doesn't mean that it wasn't painful. Like it sucked. I don't wish that upon anybody, but it was clean and it wasn't, it wasn't drawn out and malicious in any way, shape or form. Like he got the business, I got the house, I got the dog,
0: all good. You got Rico. I got Rico. uh,
1: Rico who is now snoring on the floor.
0: Let's give a moment. You think that they, can can you see Maybe. That yeah, is they got that. <laughs> that is the snoring uh, sensation
1: Rico of Suave. Rico Suave,
0: nine and a half year old English bulldog.
1: No, he's more than nine and a half. He's it's one more month, and he's ten.
0: Uh, uh, almost ten years old. Yes, Rico Suave, uh, English bulldog. He, uh, Lauren and I, you and I went to a um, a beer festival. Did we go to a beer festival last year, or the year before? Where you we found oh the an English uh, a English flag the Union Jack. Uh, Collar, dog collar. Yeah, um,
1: that was the Nova Brew Fest.
0: Yes, the Northern Virginia Brew Festival. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you you get your certification. Yeah.
1: So I thought I moved back to D.C. I and thought, this is what year. This is so I got my certification in February of 2016. Right. So I came back and I'm like, you know what? I want to give this a go. I want to see if I can make some positive change. I'm going to give it six months. And I was working with my coach all throughout this of building a plan. And this was a lot of the things that I was working through while getting certified. And I went back there and I just hit a brick wall. And I remember my boss at the time, I had pitched this idea because we did this annual manager's meeting. And I was all about like, you know, like being happy in your job. Like, how do you get happy doing what you're doing? And he told me. Lauren, happiness at work is a little too progressive for us. Straight face. And I was just like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> like, I knew that in envir- Wait, what,
0: is, what does that mean? Uh, they, they they don't want you to be comfortable at that job? They
1: didn't care. I mean, your happiness as an employee was not a priority. Mm. They want to know how they're going to make money from you. It was a lot of burning and churning of people. There's a lot of turnover. And when you have very small margins working with management companies, with associations who are nonprofits, mm-hmm. um, I mean, some nonprofits make tons of money, but the way that the business model is, it's very inefficient and it's stressful. Um, and so... I just, I was like, you know what, let me go in. I started a mentorship program. I had some junior staff that I was working with um, during lunch because I didn't want it to interfere for them to get in trouble. And ironically enough, those two people like made their exit strategies because they realized what they were tolerating and how it was making them sick to work in that environment. Um, and a lot of people have left there. I mean, probably 80% of my office left um, since I left. Um, not saying that I was the reason for it, but I think people just wake up to the fact that their happiness is not an option. You know, that no price tag or whatever you're making, you know, can accommodate or or can pay for your unhappiness because you pay for it in other ways. Right. So I gave it six months and uh, I just kind of hit the wall. Like, you know, the same stuff just kept circling back of like abusive behavior from board members, um, inappropriate behavior from managers and just people being uninspired. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I want to be a positive influence for people to actually love what they're doing. Mm hmm. And so that's kind of the, was the catalyst of it. And I actually like have this in my bathroom. I don't know if you see it, but it, it says, um, I am the catalyst for positive change. I've
0: seen that. Yeah. So
1: that's my mantra. And if I am in an environment where I can't make that happen, then I know that I have to go. Cause that's my mission. I know that I'm in complete disalignment with whatever's going on. So, um, I worked, I wanted to work with people on an individual basis, which is what I do now. I also, um. You know, wanted to write a book and blog and all that stuff. So that's what's been really exciting the last two years to be able to, you know, actually look back and see like, yeah, I am doing it.
0: So you said tomorrow is the two year anniversary of
1: the day that I walked away
0: from your last job. Yeah,
1: which was day one of starting my business.
0: And was it scary? The day that you walked yeah. away? <laughs> yeah, but because th- truthfully, and you and I have talked about this a lot. Oftentimes people. Walk away from a paycheck when they've been working on something else in tandem, so that there's some overlap. Yeah. And when you walk away from that pay from the from the previous job, the new job already has legs.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what I recommend to my clients now. So I did not do that because um, I had sold my house in Vegas, so I knew I had a little financial cushion. But I also knew that if I waited until that moment, the amount of emotional damage i was putting myself under was far more risky um i also had a lot of gnarly stuff happening with a female board member sexually harassing me mm. yeah bizarre and did not get backed up and i was like this is not for me i don't even want to play in this playground um but yeah i walked away and i had no clients like i had been coaching people but i didn't have any active clients
0: when so, i started those, I, you probably can't say who no I how did you how did you uh how did you get your first client? Like, do you, like, yeah. what, what was that experience?
1: My first client came to me. So she was a sorority sister and I'm still working with her till this day.
0: And how did she know that you were we, doing this kind of work?
1: I think that I had mentioned something on Facebook about, you know, I'm going to go check out this coaching program and she reached out to me and she said, I want you to coach me. I said, I'm not certified. And she's like, I don't care. I know you, you know me, and I trust you. You
0: were coaching her before you got your yeah. certification? Yeah. She didn't pay before me. Before you start, started getting your certification? Yeah. So
1: you don't have to be certified to be a life coach. That's why it's kind of tricky out there. And for people who are looking for coaches, make sure that you know what you're getting into with certification. Because she
0: didn't pay you.
1: She didn't pay me until I, I said to her, I don't want you to pay me until I have my certification. Oh, that, was, okay. that was the deal. Um, but
0: I know that because I've known, I knew another coach. Uh, coach you have to get hours yes so was she she was basically the she hours. was pro bono
1: hours um yeah so that's all part how of it. how many hours did you have to get um so to get your acc which is the status What's which is called? your associate certified coach mm-hmm. is a hundred hours and i think 10 of them or 20 of them or something is pro bono and the rest have to be paid in some capacity right yeah
0: okay and so you still work with this i still work with her yeah uh, uh what kind of business? What kind, What style of business is she in? She's an artist. She's an artist. Yeah. And so, you know, being the and was she just starting out in her business? When no, you? so
1: we were doing life coaching. So I started as a life coach, like, and just kind of working on you know getting through mental blocks and right. mindset shifts and things like that. Well, and was
0: she in her business though? Was just she, was she, she just starting out? In her she business? Wasn't
1: she wasn't even focused on her own business. She was just working. She was in a career that was not ideal for her.
0: And then she picked up the yeah the that artist. hasn't
1: been until the last year, yeah that she decided to start a business. I said, well, lucky for you, I'm a business coach.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you've got to see like from the very beginning, not only not only the beginning for you in terms of this the new this new career, but from the very beginning with your very first client, mm-hmm. you've seen an entire evolution. Yeah. Of uh of this person's status and probably happiness. Yeah. And job. Uh, you know, her, 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 the upward mobility of her artistry job. Yeah, I mean it's,
1: it's a shift. Um, and I always tell people it's not you know this this line or a curve that you're looking for. You're gonna have setbacks. You're gonna have moments where you question things. But as long as you know what your intention is behind the goal, then you will always end up somewhere near it when your actions are in alignment with that.
0: Is there a is there a person that you can't coach? Yeah. Or 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 you know, is there a have you had instances where cuz you you know, as we said, you started without the overlap. You started from ground zero. Mm-hmm. You quit your job and then started a new business. Yeah. And you are two two years later, you're you're doing well. You're you know, paying the rent on this very nice apartment in mm-hmm. a very nice part of DC and Rico's fed? Know, <laughs> R- Rico your dog's fed, you eat sometimes.
1: Sometimes. Um
0: <laughs> But I'm, which means that to some to some degree, uh, you're a success. But do you ever feel? Have you have you ever felt like, you were working with someone that just can't be worked with?
1: Yeah, a, a couple times. Um, it's it's usually this profile of person that comes to you wanting to fix a certain part of their life or their business, but they don't really have the willingness to take accountability right so what i work with people on is to kind of face their part in things and when people are always making excuses of why things are happening um, and i can usually see this after about two or three sessions because i do an assessment on them Mm -hmm. Um, and if i hear the same thing looping back then i'm i'm just like you know what i don't think i'm in a position to work with you in this capacity because it doesn't sound like you're willing to shift anything so some people like need to be in therapy and that's cool Um, One of my clients is in therapy while I'm coaching them and there's, you know, there's a mutual agreement on how that works. But, you know, I think people look at a coach and think that they're a consultant and are going to just create a magical fix for everything. But there's a lot of unpacking and work that you have to do to take accountability and use the tools and also tweak them and shift them and know that It's not going to be perfect every time, but you've got to maintain it. Like, it's like having a car. You're not just going to put one tank of gas in it and drive it and expect it to be performing at the same speed when you run out of gas. So I think the people that, you know, we call them uncoachable. It's the people who, you know, are always right. You know, you can't tell them anything different. Um, If you challenge them anyway, they're super defensive. And I usually am pretty good at checking people, but... If they come to me and say like you know i'm really suffering with this and i really want to do this and i talk to them about what would it mean if you were able to move through this what would what would happen in your life and they can't even envision it because they're just like this is what it is then they're in the funk and that's not really someone like i always say like i like to light a fire under people's butts but it's usually because they have kindling under there but these are the people that are mucked down and they're so beyond like even being at the surface to get inspired um, that they got to do a little bit deeper work before they're ready to work with me
0: so what do you think happens to those people
1: i think that they probably hit their head against the wall a couple times they usually come back six to eight months later oh really yeah they kind of have that like oh it wasn't just lauren that you know had this that's all this this was actually me it, sometimes the light bulb comes on a little later
0: what is your two date two years into it What is do you think your biggest accomplishment so far as a um as a business and life coach
1: i think just doing it i mean there are a couple times where i was considering going back to a nine-to-five job and and into you know abandon this when you
0: and i first met you were you were interviewing Mm -hmm. because you weren't you didn't really have the confidence yet in what you were doing I, I was think. scared
1: I mean when you live in an expensive apartment and you go from getting a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks to not knowing if you're going to be able to I mean I had financial a financial cushion but it's scary especially when you have the background that I do of like you know I'm relying on myself and I don't know if I can do this Cause it's not like selling a hat or, you know, you sell X number of hats. Like I had to find people to give me their money, to trust me, to do this. So it took time. Yeah. And I would say like, once I hit kind of that six month mark, I got like the surge and I actually like looked forward to those moments where I was questioning myself because when I just kind of sat in it, I would have that moment of clarity of like, no, this is exactly what you need to do. And then another client would come in or I'd get a referral or something else would happen. Um, But I think just, my biggest accomplishment is that i trust myself to do this and i know that this is what i need to do
0: um we're halfway through 2018 mm-hmm. officially it's now june mm-hmm. does that mean we're halfway through we have one more month until we're halfway well through.
1: june is the sixth month so when we're at the end of this so month we're then we're halfway, halfway yes. <laughs> through.
0: um do you feel like you are hitting the goals that you kind of uh you know, may or may not have set for yourself mm-hmm. for for 2018
1: Yeah. I mean, I actually did. um, I did a magazine cover for myself for this year. So I had what my goals were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm coming pretty close. The one area that I have not gotten to, which I actually am pretty excited about, is 25 paid speaking gigs by the
0: end of the year. How do you how do you accomplish that?
1: Well, I think the book that's coming out in a couple months is going to help with that. Oh, we didn't talk about. Your book. We didn't talk about the book, Justin. You're failing as a host. No, I'm not. I'm
0: <laughs> actually, I think I'm doing a fantastic job. <laughs> you are. I just. I'm There's kidding. There's just so much about you, though. We have to. We have, <laughs> to, we have to. We have to pull back the onion. We, uh, why
1: the, did you have to say an onion? I don't
0: know. Um, you know how I feel about them. Cause what? Cause I love onions. Yeah. Um. You. What's it? What you? You were gonna call the book something. I was gonna call it you, I Spit Fire. But but, but we have then, now changed it. But then you got inspired by yes, by the by, by the
1: amazing genius that is Justin Trayway. That's me. That's me. Yes. It is now called Spitting Fire. Yes.
0: yes. And what is your book about?
1: So it's all about the stories and the principles behind your own Spitfire. Is this your first book? Well, this is the first book that's coming out. I've I've actually written two other books, but they will probably never see the light of day. Um so the premise behind it is that everyone is a Spitfire and I have redefined what that is. So Spitfire is someone who's wild and free and unapologetically them.
0: Is is there more than one definition of a Spitfire? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the one that's in the dictionary is not very positive towards women. Like it's like a woman who like you know, has daggers coming out of her mouth because she's like hurting people and flies off the handle. And it's just irrational and crazy.
0: So are you attempting to redefine yeah, the term?
1: That's exactly what it is. Because th- what I've noticed in doing this podcast is that the people who identify themselves as spitfires have never, ever viewed it as something negative. Right. They see it as like a badge of honor. So I want to honor that, but also, you know, put a magnifying glass on, on the fact that everybody has this in them, but they just need to uncover the crap. Like all the stories and the messages that you've heard that have burned you down into the expectations of who you're supposed to be to get back to who you've always were meant to be.
0: Your guests on your podcast, are they across the board from every different type of job and, and background or are you focusing on someone specific?
1: No, I mean, they're, they're all across the board, different genders, different ages, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses. Like, I'm talking to people who I, when I talk to them, I'm like, yeah, you're a spitfire. Like, I sense it in people. Like,
0: Who's not a spitfire?
1: I actually talked to someone. Um, I So Patricia Brooks, who was on there and actually went through coaching school with her, she told me she didn't think she was a spitfire. And I actually, in the process of the episode, called her out. And I was just like... But-
0: But not everyone can be a Spitfire.
1: Yes, they can. They can. So it's expressed differently. So it's more of like the way that I express myself as a Spitfire is very different from you or anyone else. But it's just about you standing in your power of like, this is who I am and this is what I love to do and here's why. So Mm -hmm. it's like when you act out of the intention of who you are instead of out of the expectations of somebody else. Like it's not because your parents told you to be a certain way or be a lawyer or doctor. It's like, I'm a musician because I love to play and I love to entertain you know, that's where the fire comes from. I see. Okay. So it's like dialing up or back, but it's not about this massive blaze all the time. Like you can be a subtle spitfire.
0: But you, but that that's not only reserved for entrepreneurs. No.
1: No, and that's actually in the book. There's an FAQ section. Like, do I have to be an entrepreneur and quit my job in order to be a spitfire? And the answer is no. Like there are plenty of spitfires working corporate America or unemployed. Like you can be anything as long as you're passionate about it and you're working from what you want that's in alignment with with who you are right that's it it's it's more of like looking in the mirror and asking yourself am i doing this for me or for somebody else
0: now people if you're listening to this podcast you already know how to get in touch with with lauren i would hope so um otherwise how the hell did you get here
1: i don't how'd you get here
0: Um, (laughs) who are you? you, you you know, in regards to in regards to getting the word out and and people knowing that coaching exists, whether it be business coaching or, or life coaching. Um, you and I went to the Renwick today. I saw someone was a health coach, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, how are you getting the word out that you you are around that that people can come up to someone like you to better them, themselves, their work life, their personal life. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that's why I want to get into doing more speaking. So not just talking to people who know what coaching is, but like I went to this um, monetizing creativity workshop yesterday and I'm like, this is prime for people to learn about coaching because you have people who are getting in their own way. So I think it's more of like getting myself in front of industries who aren't necessarily aware of coaching Mm -hmm. and making it in an accessible way that speaks to people's language that they can grab hold to. And be like, yeah, I can get on board with that. Because I think a lot of times when you're in an industry, you kind of speak the industry language. So, when I'm talking to other coaches, we speak completely different terminology. So, I've had to kind of retrain myself into layman's terms about what it is that I do. Or else I can get misinterpreted as, as woo-woo, as we like to call it.
0: As you like to call it. I like to call it woo-woo. I learned woo-woo from you, you. Um, <laughs> I learned it from you, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're talking about you're uh, – we're going to be done because this is probably the longest podcast you've ever had. It done. probably is, yeah. But, uh, but I hope you cut none of this out. I'm not going to cut any of it out. Um, You oftentimes – I can hear like you on the other side of the apartment or down the hall or something like that. You're doing something called an engine call. Yes. Um, And I think I w- it just kind of came to my mind because you're talking about when you talk with other coaches, you have a different um, – uh, com- c- communicative style, mm-hmm. but, and it seems like sometimes your engine calls are with other coaches.
1: Um, Some of them are, but I actually work with clients who hire
0: me for that. What is an engine call? So, because I think that's a good example of one kind of thing that you can do.
1: Yeah. So it's accountability basically. So in life there are engines and there are anchors. So the engine is there to propel you forward. So I usually work with people in a couple longer format sessions beforehand to establish their goals and then we slice it down to 10 minute calls multiple times a week for me to check in on what they've done what they're working on and what could be preventing them from having the success they want
0: because it really an engine you know and, and i got to be there i have known you for two two years well
1: you've actually known me longer but we're not going to talk That's about a that different story. <laughs> but
0: i've known you for two years and i'm uh i am not where i was when i met you in regards to my out- yeah you thought out- my job
1: was bullshit.
0: Yeah, I, I think about... Uh, I'm about halfway there. Yeah. You know? Oh, you're halfway. That's Yeah, cute. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I Maybe think, by year four. And I think that the halfway part that I'm not there, to, and I may never get to, though, is mm-hmm. something you've already alluded to, is there are people that probably shouldn't be doing your job. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because uh, you happen to be doing a job that, for the most part, I mean, there is... A, you do... You are... You are uh, accredited. What am I trying to say? You are certified. I'm certified. But... Uh, it's not like you went to med school and you went to eight years of of med school for this and there's some sort of serious board or bar association or something Mm -hmm. um so you really are at oftentimes in your industry the 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 whim of the professionalism of the individual that you're working with of the coach that you're working with Sure. and as being that i know you personally i know that you are worth it um right yeah absolutely um And so that's where I say that like I'm about halfway there and that's about half as much as I will be there because I guess I think that it's based your industry is based very much on the individual coach.
1: I think what you're going to see in probably the next five to 10 years is an increase in regulation around that because right now you don't have to be certified as a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're dealing with some really sensitive stuff that could have harm. And, And the whole point of being certified is that you have a code of ethics that you agree to, you can lose your certification, um, and you can get sued. And it's, it's no joke. I mean, I have a million dollars of insurance coverage, please nobody sue me. Um, but it's for that very reason because you need to protect yourself because this is a profession that you should take seriously. You know, it was not cheap to get certified. Um, but it did take time. There are also coaching schools where you can get certified in a week, which I think is bullshit because a lot of being a coach is dealing with your own stuff. And that's like, you have to be willing to make yourself. Okay. And I think a lot of people get into this industry because they want to make other people feel good because they're not necessarily there themselves. So what I would first say is like, if you want to be a coach, number one, don't quit your day job. And number two, make sure that you have dealt with the stuff that, that has, like kept you stuck in your own ways like if you got past childhood issues or past issues around success like get in front of that first like talk to a coach and face that head-on before you think that you can go and solve other people's problems because that's not what being a coach is it has nothing to do with you solving it it's there for you to be objective to ask the questions to help the client get to their own resolution
0: um one more time how do people and of course once again if you're listening to this it's going to be uh you you already know maybe how to get in touch with Lauren but but if you're somehow just hopping onto this podcast for the first time maybe it's because I I pushed it to my social media and people know me but don't know you um how do people find out more information about you how did they, how do they maybe pre-order eventually your book um or or buy it uh and what are like your social media ha- handles yeah stuff?
1: so if you go to spitfirecoach.com um, that has the podcast and all of my information on there. So I did a hundred day blog. I also have tons of other resources on there and videos. You can book a 15 minute consultation with me if you're not sure to get into coaching. And I am one of the few coaches that actually discloses my, my prices. So coaching is not cheap, but it is an investment back in yourself. So check that stuff out. If you want to do a strategy session, if you want to do engine calls, all that stuff is there. Um, the book stuff is not up yet, but if you are interested, shoot me a message and I'll put you on the list for presale. Um, I'm hoping to have this all done by my birthday in September. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's coming together and I'm really excited about what the podcast has done, um, and what the book's going to do. But if you follow, um, at the Spitfire coach on Instagram, um, or my name on Twitter or the Spitfire or Spitfire coach on Twitter, all of my stuff is there. I post pretty frequently about motivation and all the things that, Keep people up at night in business and their careers.
0: Now, Lauren, we're going to end the podcast because yeah. you and I have Westworld to Westworld. Watch. Now, I don't, you know, we're not going to, I'm not going to talk about the plot of Westworld no. as in, in hopes that we won't be ruining anyone's Westworld experience that might be like us and several episodes behind. I think we're only like one behind now. Well, today is Sunday. So That's true. So we're about to be, to be two. two. <laughs> um, and I implore you to not fall asleep. I'm going to try at least the hard. next 45 minutes, if not two hours, because I think it'd be really great, Lauren, if we could actually watch two episodes. I'll do of, my best. Of Westworld.
1: Tonight. I also have to edit this podcast.
0: Uh, we also need to go buy milk. We do. Because <laughs> the current milk that you own is uh, about seven days old. And I've never drunk curled milk before, so I'm just kind of hoping I like make yogurt. it through the night. It's yogurt. <laughs> um but lauren lemonian uh thank you very much for thank being you. being a guest on on my guest hosting are you gonna
1: take over my show too
0: you want to do the circus life uh,
1: yeah we'll just do a trade-off yeah so justin's uh podcast is the circus life and it's amazing and you should check it out i'm i'm frequently on it giving my snarky
0: you are at circuslife.com circuslife.com you can Music at Justin Trawick, T R A W I C K dot com. No, why? And what did we actually? I know that we're talking about kind of the future because you have to drop it in later, but are you going to drop in the bright side? I'm going to be dropping it. Is just going to be a four minute pause with nothing? No, else? I'm Just, just Rico's uh, story.
1: I didn't have a pause in there. I, I will put in, as long as I have the file, it will be in there. All right. Well, yeah. I'm, I imagine I can find it for you. If not, I'm going to put Justin's uh, magical website in there and all of his music is available mm-hmm. there.
0: Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, um, Lauren, thank you very much thank for being, you. being my guest today. Oh and uh on behalf of uh i don't know how do you normally end? tell me how to end the show
1: i always say and for all the spitfires out there keep being awesome all right,
0: hold on wait wait uh, wait hold on so what's with f- and, and for all the spitfires yeah. out there mm-hmm. keep
1: being awesome So don't
0: cut any of this up all right good. uh lauren thank you very much very much for being a guest on my guest hosting thanks for having today. me yeah right yeah. and um and on behalf of myself justin trailer for all the spitfires out there keep being awesome